So where were you born? I was born in Romford, Essex. Ah. And um, account for your accent then. <laughs> Uh, my accent is, um, I was brought up in Lancashire, in Southport in Lancashire. Yeah. Um, I married a Canadian, uh. and I'm very easily influenced. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Uh, for, you are the founder of Formation. I am. Tell us about that. Uh, Formation, the strapline of Formation is developing spectacular ordinary lives. Uh, it's got a focus around leadership and the development of Christians in the ordinary, everyday, mundane reality of their lives, with the idea that being filled with the Spirit is not just in great things like focus, which is wonderful, but in the daily grind of your life, God is present there, uh, as fully as He is in any other place. So that's kind of the, the heart of it, and that gets us around the world doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah, you say around the world, what is, mm. you've been doing stuff with OM? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of in OM at the same time. Okay. Yeah. And you, what else do you do? Spurgeons? Well, uh, yeah, teach at St. Melitus, uh, teach in Spurgeons, teach in a few other places around the world. Um, so lots of other events and organizations that I'm kind of linked with. I'm honorary teaching pastor at St. Paul's Hammersmith. So it's great to be on a seven minute drive down here. Uh, <laughs> this is wonderful. So all that sort of stuff. And if you had any spare time after all that, what's, what's your favorite hobby? Uh, you know, I really enjoy watching TV with my wife. Um, I enjoy cycling and walking along the Thames. Well, not the Thames itself, the path besides the Thames. Yeah. Um, and, and stuff like that. Wonderful. Keeping fit, eating well. Brilliant, brilliant. Viv, we're so looking forward to hearing you speak. You've got a, uh, a little book, you've written a few books, and you've got, a little, uh, a you've got some merchandise yep. over there. Tell us about Wisdom Road. Uh, this is a book called Wisdom Road, which is m my latest book which is about making decisions in company with God. Um, this comes out of a series of frustrations watching Christians of about the age of many of you here making decisions that actually didn't work out or were kind of based in the wrong place from my perspective. So this is uh, a book around some of the things you need to notice if you're making a decision. It is not a how to make a decision book. It is uh, examining the framework around the things you need to pay attention to if you're going to make a reasonable decision. Yeah. I, the bit I love, it's, it's a really helpful book precisely for that. It's just what else is going on while I'm thinking about the particular thing. Yeah. And there's a bit on Everest, the, the disaster in Everest in 1996, uh, which you analyze uh, uh, acutely, if I may say. Really helpful book. So uh, you can grab your copy on the, on the, on the desk at the back. Great. I'd love to pray. Yep. Let's pray as Viv unpacks God's word to us this morning. Lord, thank you for this man of God, for his journey, for his ability to pay attention to you uh, in his spectacular, ordinary life. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would enable him to impart wisdom to us, that you would feed us through him by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Tim. Well, it's, it's great to be here and be with you guys. Um, I want to share some thoughts this morning around power and particularly four sources of power. So if you've got a Bible near you, can you please turn to the book of Ephesians? Um, and I want to read some words from Paul. Uh, this is particularly apposite when it comes to uh, Palm Sunday 
and all of what's happening around power and people's understanding of power and how it works. Uh, but I want to share some things that come out of Ephesians that I think are critical for us if we're going to be able to live powerful lives. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 says this, uh, and this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, of, right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, power and how to obtain it has been an obsession for humans since the book of Genesis. Uh, obtaining power is very popular today with people ready to spend thousands of pounds, dollars, and euros to get power. Uh, how many of you have heard of Paul McKenna? Does that name ring a bell for any of you? Raise your hand if you know, aware of him. Uh, he's uh, moved into this area of power. He's written a book called, I Can Change Your Life in Seven Days. And another one called, I Can Make You Rich. And another one called, I Can Make You Thin. How can you resist these books? I don't know. But uh, And then there's another, even more popular writer uh, called Anthony Robbins. How many of you are aware of Anthony Robbins? Maybe even a few more. Anthony Robbins has uh, written a book called Unlimited Power and another book called Unshakable. And many of these books uh, are feeding into our need to be able to live our lives well and be able to live our lives with power. And these books, some people have found great help with these books, particularly Anthony Robbins, uh, even though it's kind of a self-help sort of engagement uh, with life. Now, there are many types of power. Uh, there's personal charisma, there's uh, talent and gift. There's power that you give to a leader when you say you're, you've got a position of leadership. There's people who have power because they have got money or because they've got time, which are limited resources. You have got the power of including people. That's a power. You've got the power to exclude people. That's maybe even more powerful but we all exercise those sorts of power. 
Uh, there's seductive power. Uh, there's Usain Bolt, physical, enormously wonderful power when he runs. The world is full of it. However, what I want to share this morning is power for the weak. Is power for those whose marriages are at an edge. Power for those who are struggling at work. Uh, power for those who are fearful, maybe of your health or of your future. And you find yourself this morning needing power. Well, I want to lead you through some gifts that come to us, that shape us and grant us, I think, this power. Uh, let me uh, say that these gifts that are given to us in Ephesians are gifts. Uh, they come to us like rain. These gifts come to us like uh, fresh springtime Hammersmith rain. They come to us uh, as a love gift from God. And here Paul starts to unpack what he desires for these Ephesians. And it comes out in terms of power. And the first thing that he wants them to notice is if they're going to be able to live powerful lives, it will be because Christ is ahead of them. They are aware that Christ is ahead. Next slide, please. Thank you. So it says this in our reading, that I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And it's a statement about future. It's a statement about Christ being ahead of us. He wants, in his phrase, the eyes of our hearts opened, enlightened, so that we may see a glorious inheritance ahead of us in the saints. And what's that saying is this, is that Christ has got a future for you. When you read about this future in Scripture, you find out that it's this huge, big, visionary future of a new heaven and a new earth, and Christ is building that future for every one of us, individually, in our families, in our churches. He is establishing this future. Christ is ahead of us. And this future won't be a private little party. It's not described that way. It's described as a great feast in a great city. It's described as the earth being transformed and all of the things God does in the world being played out in its fullest possible measure. So Christ is ahead of us. And we get power in our own lives if we understand this and live with this, that ahead of us is Christ. Because if you know the future, that empowers you. If you know what's ahead of you, that empowers you. It enables you to clarify this is important and that is not. It enables you to realize if you live in this big future with Christ ahead of us, that maybe my political maneuvering at work is not as important as I thought it was. It may mean that getting the skiing holiday in in February is maybe not as important as it was. 
It may be that getting the most beautiful woman to marry, at least how she looks, is not as important as it was. Because Christ has got this great future for us and we live in the middle of this great future. And I think Paul's saying, can you grasp it? Can you get hold of it? The second thing that grants us power is the idea of Christ being behind us, that Christ is behind us. And what Paul says to these Ephesians is, I want you to grasp that Christ has risen from the dead, that their past, our past, is he has extended his authority from Christ who has risen from the dead. And the idea is this, that Christ is not only ahead of us, he is also behind us. That through his death and resurrection, there is built up in his resurrected life, in his resurrected body, in all of what has come to us through the resurrection, this enormous power that now is working in us that this power that comes to us from the past, from what he has done, radically changes everything we live with now. It's as though he's saying, the Christ ahead of us is pulling us towards the future, and Christ behind us is pushing us with power into the rest of our lives. And he's saying, live in those two dimensions. Live with Christ ahead of you, live with Christ behind you, uh, why is that so powerful? Because if the risen, ascended Christ lives in me, then everything he touches comes alive. And it also means that everything, anything, is possible. If Christ can be risen from the dead and he is behind us, pushing us forward towards our future, then that transforms how we engage our now in Hammersmith or in Fulham, or in Parsons Green. The third dimension of this that he mentions is Christ above. So he says this in verse 21, that Christ who is far above all rule and authority and power and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. That's what it says in verse 21, that Christ is far above all authority in other words, that Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is above everything. He rules and reigns over everything. That's what Paul's saying. And why is that so powerful for us? Because if he rules everything, he also rules our lives. His authority and power is granted to us as we look towards the future, as we live with the power of the resurrection behind as we live with the knowledge that he is in charge of all of this now, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, and that his authority and kingship is the center of my life, not me. One of the great seductions of West London is to believe that I am the center of my world. And it comes as a big shock when you discover that is not the case and was never ever the case. But the culture says, you're the center, you're the center. What Paul's saying here to these Ephesians is Christ is the center. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one who has authority. He is above everything. 
The fourth dimension of this is Christ below. Because here it says this in verse 22, that Christ of all, has all things under his feet and has appointed, been appointed to him the head over everything for the church. So the picture that Paul's giving to us is a picture of who Christ is and how he works. And the fourth dimension is that everything is under his feet. And he's saying to us, pay attention to the feet of Jesus. Pay attention to his feet. He is standing on something. And what he's standing on, as we pay attention to his feet, all of what is under his feet, what we discover, who's there? Who's at the feet of Jesus? Facebook, Google, China, Theresa May, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Richard Dawkins, the church, philosophers, even Jose Mourinho. That's a football joke. If you didn't get it, don't worry. Is under his feet. So here we've got this place of power, Christ ahead, Christ behind, Christ above, Christ below, the whole world of our existence depending on him. And how does that play its way out? Well, Paul describes it this way in verse 19. In the middle of this, we have the incomparable great power for us who believe. We have incomparable great power for us who believe. But what is this power for? We've got this incomparable great power. What is it for? Let me lead you through some of the things that this power does in your own life. Um, first thing is love. When you are experiencing the power of God in this way, it gives you strength to love those who are sometimes unlovely. It gives you the power to be humble, to be gentle and patient. It gives you the power to be able to develop those sorts of characteristics. It gives you the power to be united with others. Great challenge for the church, can we be united? And the answer is without the power of Christ, absolutely not. But he gives us his power so we can be united and be developed in the way in which we unite with each other. The power to no longer be a baby, the power to grow up, that's one power that he mentions here in Ephesians uh, that's really important. It's, it's chapter 4, verse 14, not verse 4, if you're looking at the, the notes. The power to choose light over darkness. That's another power he mentions in Ephesians. The power of choice. That when you're faced with darkness, when you're faced with light, you've got the power to choose light and not choose darkness. The power to submit and serve. The power to let others exercise power over you, which is much more challenging than often being the one who exercises the power. The power to be able to submit and follow. And then the power to fight, which is how Ephesians ends up. Spiritual warfare. The power to engage the enemy. And he mentions all these powers that cascade 
out of Christ being ahead, of Christ being behind, of Christ being above, of Christ being below. And all of this fruit comes out as we live in the middle of this. So how do we get this power? And I'm coming to a very rapid conclusion right now. How do you get this power? How does it work that you receive this? Well, books have been written, Pentecostal charismatic books, of, uh, and that's my tradition, have written many, many books on how to receive power so that you'll be able to live this life that Paul's talking about. Well, I think there's one decision you need to make if you're going to live a powerful life. Not a perfect life, not a brilliantly wonderful, stellar life, but a, a rich life with God, a rich, powerful life with God. Um, I recently read a book called Messiah's Handle, and it's a book about a vicar, a guy called Chris Woods. His son goes to St. Paul's Hammersmith, and his son has written this book about his father. Uh, Chris was a very gifted man, uh, died way too young, but surrendered most of his life to planting and developing a church in St. Helens in Lancashire in a particularly difficult area. Spent many years doing this. And his daughter, Maddie, said to him, basically, what are you doing? Why are you giving your life away for all of this? And he said this to her, to his daughter, to help him understand, to help her understand his life. He said, Maddie, I'm just washing the feet of Jesus. Maddie, I'm just washing the feet of Jesus. And you know the story of when Jesus washes the disciples' feet? He turned this around and said, what I am doing with my life is that I am washing the feet of Jesus. So here's the big idea, guys, that I want to share with you this morning, that if you are going to live this rich, powerful life, not perfect, but rich and powerful, it will be to do with engaging in a lifelong gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ. That if you want to live a powerful life over this decade, the next decade, when you're in your 60s, when you're in your 70s, when the Zimmer frame comes out and your teeth have gone, and you're still living this, what will it be to do with? It will be to do with a lifelong gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ. That you fix yourself on who he is. You forever learn who he is. You pay attention to the stories. You realize Christ is ahead of you. Christ is behind. Christ is above. Christ is below. And you take a stand in your life where you say, I am just washing the feet of Jesus. I'm going to put my attention on him and gaze on him and see what happens. That's why Paul can say another place, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because all of this power dynamic is happening around him. So in the middle of his weakness, he's in the middle of Christ ahead, Christ behind, Christ above, and Christ below. Isaiah says this, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run 
and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. A lifelong gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's just close our eyes. And in spite of a baby, let's have some silence. <laughs>